Lateral Banter episode 35. That's right, this podcast is brought to you by Danny T. Today, it's been a good day. You know, I've taken a couple days off from podcasting, just thinking about what kind of episodes I wanted to do. I want to go back to the things that I think I most enjoy in podcasting. First, I'm going to do more episodes interviewing people. I think that I enjoy that quite a bit. I have some friends who do interesting research and work like that. So I want to continue that work. And I will have my friend Jerry on very soon to talk about Baudrillard again. But when I'm in the studio and I'm talking to myself, I want to continue the themes that I am most passionate about. Instead of making this about soccer or basketball, which right now are my favorite sports, I want to stick with the very topics that fascinate me, and that is authoritarianism, liberal democracy, and modern-day capitalism. Those are the three topics I think I enjoy talking about the most with people. It is the topics that I think most about. Think most about authoritarianism and its rise as liberal democracy worldwide declines, especially in the West, and role that global capitalism has in that relationship. So on today's episode, I did some research uh, last week and the week prior on a really fascinating person who I discussed during my first episode And that was Viktor Orban, the Prime Minister of Hungary. A lot of people probably listening to this podcast don't know much about Viktor Orban. But reading the articles I have read in the press about him and a few scholarly articles about Hungary, it's a topic and a theme that I want to discuss and will discuss in the future. But I want to discuss in this episode specifically how Viktor Orban consolidated power in Hungary. And that is a really fascinating process, how how he did it, what were the conditions that allowed for Viktor Orban to seize power in Hungary. The reason why I think people should pay attention to this is not because they're going to go live in Hungary. Hungary might not be important to them. However... Viktor Orban feels like he is leading a worldwide movement of illiberal democracies is the nicest word. It's authoritarianism. He's leading a movement of global authoritarianism. And it doesn't matter if he is in a small country in Eastern Europe, in Hungary, that most people probably can't find on a map. If he believes this is his mission in life and he is here to transform his country and transform Europe, And has many ways fought Europe and won in several instances, and I'll try to talk about that later. But he feels empowered by where he is right now. He was leading the charge for the European Union to remove migrants out of the the European Union. He wanted them out or in one location so they could be processed. And so he feels like he's a great defender of Western civilization, of that Christian Western civilization. So he is an interesting person. 
I disagree with him on almost every single political viewpoint he has. But I am fascinated by his rise to power and how he came about. So I feel like I want to talk about that on today's episode. So let's get started. So first thing is set up how Viktor Orban got into to power. First of all, he had been elected prime minister previously in Hungary. He lost power in 2002 when he ran in 2002 and lost it forever shook his confidence in the country and he i think felt in many ways like he was entitled to be prime minister and blame his loss from what i've read on the media he blamed the loss on the media at that time and so look he has this party called the fidesz he went about reorganizing the party and made it this conservative populist nationalist party. And when 2010 came around, Viktor Orban and his party won 53% of the votes, okay, in an election. You would think that he would get 53% of the seats or something comparable to that. Not a majority, but close to a majority or something like that based on the rules. But no, the way Hungary's constitution existed, and this is an important point, Hungary never created a new constitution from what I read. It had used an old one from the Soviet era. Basically, with 53% of the votes, he captured 66% of the seats in the assembly. He captured exactly 263 seats out of 386. So I think that this shows you that he had amassed in one election an incredible amount of power. Why do I think he won the election in 2010 so handily? Well, there's, there's no doubt that there were two key factors from what I've been able to discern. First, the economic crisis in 2008 was a global crisis and it hit Hungary harder than most countries. It had amassed a lot of debt and it needed a cash infusion and who else could implement that but the IMF. And that upset a lot of people because the government cut back on a lot of social services and social programs. So that creates a anger at the elites. I think that's that's been well established at this point that austerity has consequences. And maybe the elites at that time weren't so afraid of Viktor Orban because he had governed previously and he had been sort of a conservative Christian party, but nothing too radical. But in 2010, Viktor Orban this time with two thirds of the seats in parliament came about, decided to radically reshape Hungary and its political institutions, all of its institutions, really. So one of the first things he did is he wrote a new constitution. He also rewrote the electoral map, and he created new districts that empowered the rural areas and weakened the opposition, which are concentrated in Hungary's larger cities, the capital. And by doing that, he 
created a, a political map that allowed his party to easily win seats because the votes for parliament were disproportionately representative of rural areas in Hungary. And the power base for Fidesz, if I'm even pronouncing that correctly, is in the rural sectors. So really fascinating to see that you have a new constitution and in it there's a new districts and they've been gerrymandered to favor the rural areas and by that favor Fidesz. And another important criteria that Viktor Orban immediately went after was the courts, the judiciary. So what he did is he expanded the constitutional court, the highest court in Hungary. But if you do that, the goal is to put your individuals in there. So Fidesz gets to nominate the new members to that constitutional court, which has now grown in size. And they passed the new law that reduced the retirement age to 62. By reducing the retirement age to 62, it forced people who are on the court to retire and judges throughout the country, allowing Fidesz to place their own people, their own selected individuals in the courts. And of course, you see how important the judiciary is into implementing your rules because you want to remove one of the pillars that could be used against you, right? If Viktor Orban begins to reform the media and the constitutional, the old constitutional court steps in and says this is unconstitutional, then there's a, then there's a fight and the judiciary is likely to win unless Viktor Orban maybe has significant amount of support in the Congress. So to get rid of one of the restrictions to his power, Viktor Orban forced judges to retire, appointed his own judges, and that way he knew when he would pass laws they wouldn't be struck down and there would be easier path towards reforms in his vision to empower himself. I mean, th this is how a democracy begins to die. And fascinatingly, when it was happening, the European Union overlooked it, ignored it, didn't say much about it until 2015, which I'll try to get back to. Another thing that he did that was fascinating was Viktor Orban replaced the bureaucracy with his own loyalists. And then the other key criteria that I think was really crucial for his victory. And as I had mentioned previously, he felt like he lost in 2002 because the media was against him. So when now he has absolute control over parliament, he immediately goes after the private media. So how did he do this? How do you go after the private media? Well, the government spends money on advertising on programs a government is spreading ads it's buying advertising on media so it can shift resources towards a media conglomerates that are more favorable to Viktor Orban and his party you can punish those media that are excessively critical of the prime minister and with the advertising budget of the federal government, that's millions and hundreds of millions of dollars that are now shifted towards those business owners that give you a favorable press. So that's one key, shift the revenue. Another way to do it is to 
impose taxes and regulation on media. That's to say uh, the media that opposed Victor Orban in 2010 all of a sudden gets a bill in the mail, you owe more in taxes, or you're being investigated for tax fraud, or X, Y, and Z. So now he has the power of the judiciary and the police and the bureaucracy to make targets of the media that oppose his agenda and his vision to reform Hungary. Again, he could block mergers. In fact, I read articles, and I don't know how true this is, People would call up businesses somewhere in Budapest, in Hungary somewhere, and someone would be on the line, call up the CEO, the business owner, and say, hey, I hear you're selling your business. And this is meant as a threat, essentially. If you do not sell to that person on the phone asking you if you're selling your business, then the tax authorities will come after you, the government will come after you, they will make your life hell until you're broke and have nothing, or you could go and sell your business to a person connected to the government, allies of Viktor Orban. And that's the fascinating thing here with Viktor Orban is that after shifting advertising revenue, blocking mergers, imposing taxes and regulation, the media is now 90% or more controlled by Fidesz loyalists, or by the government themselves. So Victor Orban has a near monopoly control over the media and what's produced. Now, why is that key? That means the information that the rural areas of Hungary get that might not have reliable internet connection might be in newspapers, which, by the way, 100% of all the regional newspapers are controlled by Fidesz and their allies. So you can see right there Essentially, it is a monopoly of information. And now Fidesz can can control the narrative of what is being said about them and, more importantly, what isn't being said about them, what isn't being published, right? Articles that are attacking the government might only get play in areas in Budapest that already oppose Viktor Orban. So he doesn't care if they just stay there. But they can't get into the areas that are currently pro Orban and uh, Profidez, and if he controls the media and knows that they don't have reliable internet access or they don't have cell phones or computers that might be able to access different websites, then he can monopolize the information, and that is power. Information and knowledge is power in this society, and Victor Orban knows that and has used that to consolidate his base of support. As far as I can tell, he's been very popular so far outside of the large cities. So uh, another measure that Viktor Orban implemented was to create a media council to regulate the media. But I, I thought this law that they changed in, with the new 20 in 2010, going back to who is voting. So in many ways, they enfranchised ethnic Hungarians living in Romania. That is interesting. You don't live in the country and you can vote. Okay, that's that's fair enough. But by doing that, you, Viktor Orban and his party got nearly a million guaranteed votes. They're almost exclusively supporters of Viktor Orban and they make up about 10% of the electorate. I mean, that's a huge big pool of support that Viktor Orban and his party can draw from by getting people who live in Romania who are Hungarian to vote in their elections. I mean, it, it's clever. I, I give you that, that ability to expand 
the electoral base by getting those who are Hungarian but living outside the country to support you and your party. And then you can claim, hey, I'm, you're the reason you're the reason you're voting in these elections is because of my party and because of Viktor Orban. It's, it's clever, man. It's, these guys know what they're doing. These guys know what they're doing in consolidating support. Also mention here, um, as I sort of begin to wrap up a little bit of how he, Viktor Orban, maintains power. And I thought this measure was very clever as well. Fidesz is able to create fake opposition parties. In many ways, I've heard... Uh, Russia and Putin to uh, implement a similar strategy of having oppositional parties run in elections that you that you Fidesz can control and support. And by doing that, you split the oppositional vote, right? The enemy of Viktor Orban might be the Socialist Party or whatever they're calling themselves today. They're like a center left party, be like the Democrats in the United States or like the liberals in Canada. But in, in when you're fighting them electorally, the important thing for this is that you split their vote by creating smaller political parties, diluting their percentage of, of votes. And that is a very smart move. If you create an oppositional party, you get to create what they're saying. You get to control who hears it? You can target their ads to a more liberal audience, maybe in universities in Budapest that are more to the left than maybe the business community is. So you can you can begin to create oppositional parties and fracture the opposition. And thus, as long as Fidesz can maintain power, that allows Fidesz to maintain power by keeping their their pool of supporters together. Um, it's a very, it's a very well thought out plan. I, I think May, maybe it wasn't a plan, but the illiberal democracy that Viktor Orban established can can split the oppositional vote and keep in power that way. Plus, they've gerrymandered dis, the districts, like I was saying before, where they get to rewrite the maps to create districts more favorable to their. And so far, it's working for them. I want to also mention a few things uh, before I wrap up. The larger picture here of how Viktor Orban wants to govern, I think this is an important point to make. Viktor Orban in many speeches has referred to his vision as a illiberal democracy. But in recent years, he's beginning to call it a Christian democracy. And you begin to see what, what he means by that if you take a broader perspective. So what do I mean by that? That more broadly speaking, Viktor Orban doesn't want to be like Kim Jong-un or a old-school authoritarian leader that just shoots and kills the opposition. That is not their goal. They, they don't want that. Maybe they'll get there. Maybe they will get there one day. But for now, the opposition, in many ways, has to exist. Because if he were to crush the opposition brutally and violently, then the European Union would take action against him more directly, and he'd be punished. So in many ways, they're holding back being this sort of uh, direct, violent, oppressive authoritarianism that we know in the past. People have called it a soft authoritarianism. But the Christian democracy element uh, is very much a 
fusion, I would say, of maybe liberal democracy and the Chinese model. You want the state to have more power because, and the power it has is to exercise its power to control more of the economy and to give Christian voices a central role in defining the culture, religion, and identity of the country and exclude the migrants, especially the Muslim migrants that he has been brutal in cracking down on, even though they don't want to live in his country, even though they're just going through the country to Viktor Orban. He's not even thinking necessarily just about Hungary. Of course, that's his primary concern, but he's thinking about Europe in general and fears that by as more Muslims are coming in, he's called it an invasion. So he uses this rhetoric and by controlling the media, he knows he's winning many times the supporters in rural areas of Hungary who only get the information from the newspapers. And they read in newspapers, the Muslims are coming over here, they're taking away our jobs or whatever, they're they're coming here to invade, they're invaders. And you can, can already see a society beginning to break down and create violence against people who are fleeing war and famine and death. And, and it's incredible. And so that that he hasn't been punished more directly by the European Union. I would have thought they would come down harder on him and earlier for what he did in in putting up a fence. Essentially, he created a a fence across Hungary to block off migrants from uh, fleeing war and foreigners, a lot of them from Iraq and Syria, uh, fleeing devastation. And he was saying, no, we're full in Europe, leave. And uh, it was pretty brutal. But in the larger perspective, that's how he's thinking of it, right? He's thinking of it from Christian Western society must exclude Muslims. They must be kept away, all of them. Even though, ready, you won't believe this statistic that I saw. 5.2% is the number of foreign-born people living in Hungary. I saw that this was the second smallest in all of the European Union. So it is... Fascinating to see it. The, the, the threat isn't even directly in Hungary, in his mind, right? And that, that's what people should know. The threat is this external invasion coming about. But I also want to add that his vision for society is also one that where Viktor Orban and the Christianity of society can attack what they see as the revolution of 1968, right? The complexity. People in society today questioning their identity, cultures, sexual orientation, gender. He wants to declare full war on that. And by doing that, what does he want? He wants us to go back to the old ways that things were. He wants it, as I saw in one article, a counter-revolution to 1968. And I thought that was really interesting. The article didn't explore what that meant. But his vision is to end gender studies, doesn't want that in any university whatsoever. And they're clever about the way they'll go about that, or they think they're clever, is they'll ban it from the public universities in Hungary. I don't know if yet they have the power or feel emboldened enough to say that the private universities can't teach that. But of course, Viktor Orban is going after another university called Central European University in Hungary, which he forced out. But again, they they make the regulations and rules so difficult, but everybody knows that that's the target is to remove the university. But he can't just ban a university. So they went after the accreditation of the university, trying to force them out. You can create rules through law since you can control the judiciary to get rid of the university. So now Central European University is having to relocate to Vienna. 
And fascinatingly, a similar process, although it's not nearly as bad as it is in Hungary, is happening in Austria. So Vienna is a place it's fleeing to, even though I think a satellite office will still be in Hungary. The main office will be in Vienna. You begin to see how Viktor Orban is pushing his agenda and making sure that there's not only control of news and information, but but controlling of what's being taught in the schools and universities and education, and that it fits his identity of Christianity and that these visions need to be implemented. I say all of this because it's happening in so many different countries around the world. I think it's important for people to see. I don't know of any other country where it's gone as far as Hungary, but in many ways, Trump and Orban's and their connection shows that Trump wishes he had as much control as Viktor Orban does over Hungary. Trump wishes he had that type of control in the United States. But obviously the democracy of the United States is much more difficult to do that to than Hungary, which had suffered brutally under the Soviet Union. I really felt like I needed to do an episode uh, like this where it really spoke to these very issues of how a dictator, that's what he is. I've tried to be nice in the episode, but my analysis, this is called a semi-dictator, semi-authoritarian leader, but it's an authoritarian leader. I, I hate qualifying it, but yes, he hasn't gone the full dictator route yet, but he is essentially a strong man attempting to reform the country in his vision. The fascinating thing is he knows he cannot also brutally attack Europe. He cannot directly attack Europe. He's attacking Germany, but he needs their money. He needs the European funds. He has a group of allies who control the businesses, who control the news, and he needs to keep them wealthy and in power and and to make sure that they're not killing each other. So the revenue, the funds that are given by the European Union is important to maintaining all of that, to maintaining his friends and allies. A lot of construction funding and things like this have gone to contracts to Orban's friends. And again, if it, there's not a media willing to investigate this and publish this news, then he gets to stay in power uh, for a very long time. He can just push it under the rug and nobody will know about it. So people aren't talking about it and he can stay in power for as long as he wants. All right. Well, I can talk about this in future episodes. So episode 35, Collateral Banter. Thank you for listening. More to come, more interviews. I appreciate you. Take care. Peace.